All right, good morning. Uh, I'm Logan. I'm the lead pastor here at LMCC. If I've yet to meet you, don't leave without just saying hi. I just like to get to know you, know your name, and connect with you. Um, it is a joy to sing with people in the room. I know it's different singing with masks, but I like to imagine the mask is actually my auto-tune and that uh, it perfectly causes me to harmonize with Janice, even though that's not true. Um, but it feels that way as I sing because no one else can hear me and tell me otherwise, specifically my children. Um, as Janice was sharing this morning, I really wanted to uh, reread what she did from Zephaniah. And um, Jasmine talked about preparing, kind of taking a breath. Um, I want you to receive this reminder as a promise from God to you. And last week I started this way. I just invited you to open your hands um, in a posture of receiving from God. And so I'm going to read this verse, and then I'm going to pray, and then we will jump into today's message. This is God talking about his love and delight for you. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears, and he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. God, you know what each of us need this morning, that you have us here, not by accident, but with great intent. And so whether it be through my words or how your scripture sparks new thoughts or ideas in these people's minds and hearts, meet with them to cast out their fears, meet with them that they would feel your delight, meet with them that they would hear you as someone who rejoices over them, who praises them because you have made them and loved them. So we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. As Jasmine mentioned, this is Palm Sunday and the beginning of Holy Week. So Palm Sunday is called that because this Sunday that preceded what we know as Easter, it's really Resurrection Sunday, the day Jesus rose from the dead, that previous Sunday Jesus came into Jerusalem, like many other Jews, in this traditional journey to Jerusalem for Passover. And it was this Sunday that people believed would be different than previous Passovers because there were rumors about this one. There was expectation that was building into this that this was the one they needed to be at. They could have skipped last year's Passover, but this Passover was something they couldn't miss. And it had all to do with this Jesus of Nazareth. And these eight days would be eight days that changed Jewish history but beyond that, it would change the history of mankind. The message of Holy Week is that your life is different because of the events of these eight days. And as we have prepared as a church and leadership, we've been praying that this eight days would be different for you just like it was then. But if it's going to be different for you this week, you need to see how it became different for them that week. And specifically, that everyone in the story that I'm about to read was wrong about Jesus. Everybody had gathered about Jesus and every idea they had in their mind about who he was and what he was about to do that week was wrong. And if they were wrong, these people who followed Jesus for years, these people that right in front of him and saw him face to face were wrong about Jesus, what you and I have to confront 
is that you are wrong about Jesus. There is an idea that you have in your mind about who Jesus is, about what he wants to do in your life, about what he is intending to do even through the events of Holy Week. And we need to have the courage to confront that we're wrong and the humility to embrace how Jesus wants to show us who he fully is. And so as I walk through this story, I invite you to be wrong about Jesus with me because it's so much better to see Jesus for who he really is. And so I have three invitations for you this morning that this week would be different for you than the previous or they'd be different like that first Holy Week. The first invitation is that you would step into the story of Palm Sunday with your imagination. I'm about to read from Matthew chapter 21 And I want you, like a movie in your mind, to begin to put yourself in the story, that you actually are hearing them cry out, that you're actually kind of getting this sense of anticipation and excitement that fills the air as people gather around, the sense of curiosity as they ask this question, who is this man that is coming? Why are people singing? Why are they declaring these things about him? And to help that, just remember the context a little bit for a second that there have been rumors about Jesus leading up to this Passover. Stories being told. Have have you heard about this man who fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish? Have you heard about this man that he heals everyone that comes to him, paralytics, those with leprosy? But this time, they said, did you hear what he did yesterday? Lazarus was dead and in the grave for four days, and he called Lazarus out from the dead. He's coming to Jerusalem. Let's get there. Let's anticipate him. And then Matthew chapter 21 picks up. It says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. He said, Go into the village over there, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd started spreading their garments on the road ahead of him. Others cut palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Praise God in the highest heaven! And the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. When it talks about the city of Jerusalem being in an uproar, I like to imagine the movie Aladdin (laughs) and Prince Ali of Ababwa is coming in and people are gathering around and they're like, well, who is this one? In similar fashion, I want you to imagine gathering around and beginning to put yourself in the story. Where would you be in that moment? Would you be alongside the other disciples as close to Jesus on that donkey as possible? Taking in the chants from the crowds, going like, I'm with that guy. 
Would you be the crowd that has been anticipating and is ready to lay the groundwork the way they would for a king coming into Jerusalem, cheering him on? Or would you be the skeptic and the cynics going, who is this guy? Why is he different than anyone else that's coming into Jerusalem this week? As you put yourself in the story, what I want you to discover is they ask that question at the end, and it's the most important question. Who is this? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? How would you answer it? Who is this? That's the question they're asking, and every answer that any of them were given was wrong. See, one of the people that isn't mentioned in the story that we know for sure has to be there is Peter. Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, been waiting for this week his whole life because he hated Roman oppression and there was going to be a Messiah, a King of Israel, who was going to come and overthrow Rome and establish Israel as the nation above every nation and that he was going to be right there by Jesus' side when it happens. He repeatedly told Jesus, when the fight comes, I'll be right there. I will die for you. I will fight for you and win this war for your kingdom. Imagine Peter's surprise when the war finally came in that Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest Jesus, and Peter, ready with the sword, starts swinging. And he's really bad at it. But he starts swinging, and Jesus says, put down that sword. My kingdom is not won by violence. My kingdom is won by sacrifice. Peter was wrong about Jesus. And what happened is that he led, that led him to reject this Jesus. Or the other disciples that were right there along with him, along the road, thinking, I can't wait to serve this king. He's been so good to me, I can't wait to serve him. Only on that night before he was crucified around the dinner table, when he began to play the role of servant, and they said, who is this king? And then have Jesus tell them, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. What type of king is this? Is this your king? (laughs) Or the crowds who were chanting, this is finally the king we've been waiting for. And yet everything he did that week said, this is not the king we were waiting for. Crucify this guy. The one they celebrated as the king they were hoping for, they crucified as a falsely accused criminal on Good Friday. Or the Pharisees who were looking around going, Jesus, tell your disciples, tell these crowds to be silent. You're just a good teacher. You're nothing special. And Jesus says, if they're silent, the rocks are going to cry out. You have no idea who I am. Or the crowds who said, this is the prophet from Nazareth. Imagine being in the middle of that crowd. Being someone who has never been welcomed by any prophet that has come before that your life looks nothing like the Pharisees and the religious elite of that day. You carry with you a reputation of sin. You're famous for all the wrong reasons. So no prophet, no holy man of Israel would ever let you be welcomed at the table, only to take the risk, as one of the women did, to come and to wash his feet with her hair and have the Pharisees, the holy men, go, why aren't you telling her to stop and to leave? And Jesus to say, you have no idea what she's done. She will be welcomed and cherished and her story will be told everywhere for the rest of time. They were wrong about Jesus. 
and you are too. And that's good news. None of us want to be wrong about anything. We will fight arguments to the death just so someone can say you're right. (laughs) Unless it's really good for us, unless the error is for our benefit, unless the surprise blows away our expectations. And over the course of Holy Week, everything that surprised them about Jesus disappointed them until Easter Sunday. And then that surprise blew their mind and they said, every way I've been wrong is better than anything I could have been right about. So the first invitation is to step into the story this week, to see how they had these ideas of God They were limiting. They were belittling of God so that you might allow yourself to be courageous enough to stick with it and see it to the end like they did, to see a Savior that was better than the one that they were cherishing coming in on Palm Sunday. It's the first invitation. Step into the story. But the second invitation is that you would let Jesus come riding into a donkey into your story today and this week. See, this prophecy that said he's coming to you, declared hundreds of years prior about that day, but it's true for this day, that Jesus, God, is always coming towards you. Whether you're turning your back and running away or whether you've been close to him, he's always coming to you. And if Jesus were to come into you, the first question I have for you in your story is where would he find you? Would he find you like Peter and the disciples, so faithful to him over this last year, over these last weeks, right near close to him, and yet still wrong about him? Would he find you amongst the crowd, curious about him, but really not sure if you're ready to follow? Really not sure if you're ready to give yourself fully to whatever he wants, if he's truly king? Or would you find yourself in the Pharisees or the cynics or the critics? How is this guy different than any other religion? What, if, what is he saying compared to others, and why does it matter? Where would he find you? And what expectations would he find that you have for him? What are you expecting Jesus to do for you today? What are you expecting for him to do for you this week? And what happens when you're disappointed? What happens when you're wrong about those expectations? What happens when he comes to overthrow the tables in your religious ideas of who he is and what he wants of you? Are you courageous enough to be wrong about Jesus and humble enough to allow him to show you who he fully is? Dallas Willard said that Christ is typically found outside of the boundaries that you set for him. I remember the first time realizing that I was wrong about Jesus. It took me a decade of faith to discover that I had begun to build God into an image of my preferences, that I began to limit him to something that felt safe for me and comfortable for me. And what I discovered is that my preferences weren't limiting his power. My preferences were limiting my experience of this life and his goodness. 
then my preferences of setting boundaries around what he could or could not do or how I could or could not live before him was only limiting my experiences of joy and peace and life and freedom. And as he began to break those walls, initially it was scary, but eventually it became freeing and I began to be truly who God wanted me to be and experience his goodness for all that he had. See, your preferences are not limiting his power. You can't do that. But your preferences are limiting your personal experiences of what he wants for you in this life. So be wrong about Jesus and never stop being wrong about Jesus. Be courageous enough to constantly come in his presence and let him continually be a mystery so that he might continue to do things you never could have imagined. Every time I do that, I discover him to be more gracious. That he's not demanding perfection the way that I think he is. But he's responding to the attention that I give to him. Delighting in it. Oh, your eyes are on me. That's all I've asked. I found him to be more powerful than I could have ever imagined. Like Peter discovering that, there, that Jesus' power was in sacrifice, not in trying to save his life by your own efforts. And I found him to be better than I could have ever imagined. And that's what we've discovered as a church. When we stopped believing that we were intellectually able to grasp all that God is and, and nail him down into certain theologies, but to begin to open up to King God, what do you want to do? Over the last couple of years, we have discovered that he wants to heal in ways we never fathomed today like he did then. That, we want, that he wanted to free people from addictions and lies and bitterness and unforgiveness, just like he did then. That he wanted to fill people with power and life in ways that they never could have imagined. So they could be different for their, for their families, for their spouses, for their kids, for their workplaces. That his plans were better than our plans. But it took courage to finally say, we've been wrong about this Jesus of Nazareth. And it requires humility that we continue to be wrong and let him be mysterious to us. He's not done showing us that he wants to do more than we could ask or imagine. He's just getting started. And so the second invitation that I'm extending to you is to let Jesus ride in humbly on a donkey into your story. Let him begin to break out the boundaries you've set for him to destroy the preferences that you would have him act in and let him be more gracious, more powerful, and better in your life today. And the third invitation involves how you do it. See, it's one thing for me to say, engage your imagination into the scriptures. And you're going, what are you even talking about? It's another thing to say, invite him into your story and let him begin to ask those questions. But part of the reason that we are doing these daily devotionals this week is not just for religious tradition. I'm tired of religious traditions. I want a real relationship with God, and I want you personally to have a real relationship with God. And so all we're doing in these devotionals is inviting you to experience what you can experience every day for the rest of your life, is that the scriptures are alive and active. 
that they are like your favorite novel, that when you step into it, you step into the story. And you get to imagine yourself as a character interacting with those protagonists and antagonists and discovering something in your imagination and the creativity that God has given you, that he wants to meet you there. And so every morning, we invite you to go onto Instagram and Facebook and to see one of our leaders, one of our pastors and ministry leaders, show you what it did for them to look at the story this time. Because they've looked at it so many times over their lives, but every time they come back to it, it just gets better. It just gets more powerful. So that you can learn to open the scriptures and do that exact same thing by the power of the Holy Spirit to let him be something different for you each day. At the beginning of this, I said, I want this Holy Week to be different for you as it was different for them. And what I mean by different is that it would change you differently this week than just how regular change happens over the course of last week. There's two types of change that God wants to bring about in your life. One is progressive sanctification, meaning there is this slow transformation that happens as you daily walk with God. But there are moments and seasons of dynamic transformation where there is an acceleration of growth and understanding of God, an acceleration of healing, an acceleration of freedom, that things can happen in the span of a week that took years to happen. And what we have been praying for, even fasting for amongst our leaders, is that this would be a week of dynamic change for you if you engage with us this week. That you join the devotionals, you join us for Wednesday worship and prayer. And the challenge for you is, will you have that urgency? When confronted with being wrong about Jesus, will you have the urgency to press in and discover a new mystery about him and let him teach you who he truly is and show you who he is? See, Easter is meant to be a celebration. But there's no celebration without anticipation. There's no celebration without preparation. Parties aren't just spontaneous. Parties are planned. And what God has done over the centuries is planned for Easter Sunday to be so different, to be the greatest of celebrations, the Super Bowl of humanity, not just the Super Bowl of the church. Because Resurrection Sunday meant everything was different. It's a celebration that everything that was broken can be made right. That every part of your body can be fixed by a bodily resurrection. Every part of your soul can be transformed because spiritual salvation is here to destroy every sin that attacks your soul. And every thought that is causing mental illness and plaguing you can now be overcome because Jesus stomped it when he stomped the head of the devil on the cross and said, it is finished. And then broke out of the tomb to say, no, really, it's finished forever. One event of human history that changed all of human history. But the question is, will you take with urgency this reality that you're wrong about Jesus, but he wants you to show you who he truly is? I hope you'll join us this Holy Week. I'm excited to discover how I'm wrong about Jesus. And I can't wait to hear you tell stories of how you have been wrong about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your patience. 
that there's no parent like you that can look at us as your children and love us even when we're wrong about who you are. Love us when we declare truths that are not fully who you are. But you're also so good that you don't want to leave us in our errors. You don't want to leave us in the pain of our mistakes. You don't want to leave us in the slavery of our sins. So Jesus, we look to you again this week, this holy week, so that it can be different for us as it was different for them. And Spirit, create in each soul an urgency to seek truth, to seek Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.